So what I thought I'd talk about tonight is one of those tricky little things that we encounter in our lives. It really hangs us up. It's called doubt. So I'm going to back up and put it in the context of how the Buddha taught about this. First of all, these teachings, the whole, the, all of these teachings are utterly practical. They are about, for oneself, looking, seeing, uncovering our various attitudes, habits of mind, discovering each one for ourselves in our own way, what causes us to struggle, what we can not do that gives us a sense of freedom. It's like we're imprisoned in a, in a way of belief, in a way of seeing, in a way of behaving. We're imprisoned in this attitude, but we're our own jailers. And we're doing it, but we don't realize we're doing it. So often one of those images which I have is like we're in a three-sided jail. We're in these bars which are beside us and in front of us and we're hanging on to the bars and we're sticking our heads through and want to get out. But the back wall doesn't exist. But we're looking in the wrong way. So we're creating problems for ourselves. And the Buddha was just like, that you make them up. We do this to ourselves and we're the only ones who can turn around and look the other way and discover we don't need to do this. And even though he taught for 45 years, amazing amounts of information. Everything he taught, none of what he taught was like hollow theory. It was all completely applicable. Apply this, do this, see this for yourself. So um, anyone can do it. We just have to look and, and look and see for ourselves. Completely practical. I love that. So um, he also had this little saying, Ejipasiko, come and see for yourself. He said, don't actually believe anything anyone tells you just because. Because you think you should, or because someone else says you should, or because they're supposed to be revered, or because they're supposed to have some reputation, or they're some kind of authority, or... Keep checking it out. Don't say, I'm not going to listen. But don't say, I'm going to believe everything I hear, either. Have an open mind, be interested, but then see for yourself. So there's this attitude of openness and curiosity, which he's all the time trying to teach us. And this curiosity is our own direct inner experience. So it's like really curious about what's happening to me, what's really happening to me. Honesty, I talked about that last week. Truly what's happening to me, not what I'd like to be happening to me or what I'm mad is happening to me. What is happening to me? And one of the uh, teachings, which is one of, I mean, there are various of these teachings which are so helpful, but one I find so helpful is to see what we do that causes us the bars of our prison. What do we actually do that's a problem? These are called the hindrances. I know you know these, but it's good to keep hearing these things over and over a few thousand times. These five robbers, sometimes he talks about them, thieves who will steal into your good sense and steal it away when you're not watching. Hinder your ability to be free, to turn around and look at the back wall where there isn't a jail and be free. Get in your way. These five, wanting, craving something, if only, aversion, resistance, any kind of negative don't like, angry at, afraid of, anything. Agitation. Restless, squirmy. Oh, got to do something else. That just inability to settle. Stress. Speedy. Its opposite. Dull. Duh. Spaced out. Not engaged. Just vague and doubt. So doubt's the one I want to focus on, even though they're all different flavors of something very similar. In fact, they aren't actually separate. Because if, for instance, you're agitated and restless, it's usually that you're not liking being present. And so you're trying to get away from something, for example. So you know, they can double up and you can actually have them, you know. You can see how really close wanting and not liking 
that are so close together. They're going simultaneously almost. You, know, you don't like this and so you like that. You want this because you don't like this. You know, they're not that far apart. <clears throat> but doubt, the fifth one, I want to focus on tonight because it's so slippery. First of all, doubt, what is meant by doubt as a hindrance is when it hinders our ability to wake up. What supports our ability to wake up is this come and see for yourself, curious, investigative awareness, applying our intelligent minds to like wondering what's going on. The hindrance to that of doubt is when we feel like, I don't think so. There's a kind of like, hmm, this doesn't feel so good and it halts us. We can't move forward with confidence. We just aren't quite sure. Joseph Goldstein, a lot of you know his name if you haven't met him, teacher of a number of us, teacher of mine, says this. You're walking along the road. You're out for a hike. You get to a fork in your trail. Take it. <laughs> That's doubt. That feeling of like immobility for a moment, hesitancy. It's like an, you, you don't know quite what to do about something. You, you know, you, you waver. Maybe this, maybe that. You're not sure. You can't move on. There isn't any confidence to take the next step. So it's the sticking. It's like spinning the wheels. You know that feeling. Now this gets interesting because we need to be careful about semantics because what some people interpret a word to mean isn't necessarily what another one. And this gets, this gets fine here in this area. So the doubt that's a hindrance is the doubt where we get stopped. And it can be, you know, doubt in we don't know which road to take, doubt we don't know which career to take, doubt we don't know which, you know, who to invite, those kinds of doubts, all kinds of things. But there also, of course, what matters a lot is doubt about the practice. Doubt about how can I do this next thing and have it actually be helping my practice? If I do this, am I just indulging myself or am I just being mean to my, what, how can I apply my practice to my life? And so there are times when we don't know and we can get hung up. There are times when we can say, oh, I don't, I don't actually, I don't think this is the kind of practice for me. I'm not sure this, is, this really works. I don't have any confidence in that. Or I'm not sure whether to keep doing it, that kind of thing. Or I'm not sure if that particular teacher, I don't really know if they really know what they're talking about. You know, the, the kind of, those kind of like, they give us a, that heavy feeling where we don't have confidence. The opposite, when we have confidence, we just like the courage of our convictions. You know, that feeling of like, yes, this is far out. Whew. We, you know, we just can go with the flow. We can trust, we can move forward, that feeling. So doubt's the opposite to that. Now, the reason I wanted to get into... The, be careful of semantics because there's another way of looking at the word doubt which I don't use that word doubt but some people use this word for, the, for a meaning which is actually more um, not such a hindrance and this is where it gets tricky it's um, the sense of wonder I, I wonder what this is about the sense of not making a decision necessarily, not having to figure it all out and know everything before moving forward. And we need a certain amount of confidence and knowing and understanding before we will move forward because we'll be like, we're not just going to go blindly forward and you know, get into trouble. So we need a certain amount of confidence, of information. But we don't want to have so much, we don't want to have all the information absolutely clearly laid out before we take a step. Because we'll never take a step. One of the teachings the Buddha gave, and I'm, you've probably heard this, was equating that, needing to know so much information, to um, the two darts. Somebody is, in those days, an arrow, a poisoned arrow or a poisoned dart. A man's got a poisoned dart in him. And he knows he's going to, you know, it's, it's going to poison him and maybe kill him. But he doesn't just say, oh, I don't want this dart. And he says, I want to know, where, who, who shot that up? 
What's on that dog? Where did that come from? Why did they do that? That's like needing a lot more information than actually is wise. We need to just get rid of that dart. There's a certain amount of information we need, but we don't need to get completely, um, we can't ever, but we want to be careful that we're not trying to know too much. We need certain knowledge and not too much knowledge. There's that lovely little phrase, um, a beginner's mind has many possibilities and experts has few. Because we can get so sort of full up, the full up with knowledge that actually there's no space to learn anything. There's that little Zen story of a, a, a Western person who goes to Japan to a teacher to ask for teachings. But he's read a lot and knows a lot and has a lot of confidence, a little know-it-all kind of type and goes to visit this Roshi, and the Roshi sits down and makes, does the tea ceremony, makes tea, and is pouring, before he says anything, he's pouring tea for this person out of the teapot into the little cup, which gets fuller and fuller, and then it just completely gets completely full and goes overflowing, and he keeps on pouring and pouring. He hasn't said anything yet, but what he's saying is, your cup is so full, I have nothing to tell you, because you aren't going to hear anything, because you're so full of your own opinions. That's too much information. So we need a certain amount of wonder. What's actually going on? Curiosity, ability to explore. Not just so that we can find answers all the time, but actually it's an attitude of curiosity. Not to get uncurious, but to keep being curious. So there's an openness and an interest and that inquiry that we need. But if we have no idea at all, we can, we can feel like, I don't trust this. So it's a fine line. How much is too much information where we get hung up in our own opinion? And how much is enough space to be curious, but not so much uncertainty that we then don't trust anything and we never move forward? So we need to find for ourselves this balance. Not too much information, not too little information. The thing about doubt, one of the things about doubt, is that it, because of what I just described, that the kind of mind which is curious, what wants to know, what's going on here, is not just a stupid mind. It's actually quite, a, skepticism has some value. I'm going to just, I want to really figure this out for myself. It can be quite dumb to just completely believe everything you're told, for instance. And we, we know that. So doubt can fool us into thinking that we're actually just being wise and being curious. But we have to decide for ourselves. If we're being too curious, we're unable to apply ourselves, then it's in the realm of a hindrance. A certain amount of wanting to know is wise. And no one can tell you where that line is because that's going to change with each person, change with each circumstance. I suppose the easiest way, for when I think about this for myself, to decide if I have enough curiosity and wonder and space, but not too much so that I can't move, and not too much information so that I can't move, can't learn anything, is a sense of, um, for me, in my experience of it, is a sense of um, mobility. I don't know how to put it into words. When I feel, I'm really curious, I want to really know about something, there feels like a movement. And if I know a lot and somebody's talking to me, I don't feel like I can move towards them because I know already. There's no movement. It's like, I know, I know, yeah, yeah. yeah I know. And somebody, you know, how irritating it is, you go telling somebody something, they go, yeah, I know. <laughs> You're just like, damn it, you don't know what I was going to say. <laughs> there's a kind of blockage of energy. And if there's a, a doubt, it's like, well, I don't really trust this at all, this feels really fishy to me. There isn't any either feeling of flowing or movement. So if too much in one way or the other, to me is a feeling of stuckness. 
And when there's a right amount of curiosity and wonder, and what's that? And interest, and not necessarily knowing, but not really sure, then it's got, a, it's got room to move, that feeling. So I go by more the inner feeling of like, oh, that's, that's fascinating. God, what's that about? Then I feel there's somewhere that I can apply my energy. There's room for my energy to engage itself and to look. That's kind of, for me, the acid test. If I'm able to, and I have that feeling of like, wanting to really, it's just interesting to me. When something's really interesting, you move towards it, don't you? There's a movement. So that's the, that's the state that the Buddha is trying to encourage in us and point out when we don't have enough trust, we stop that. So, one of the ways that is most helpful if we find ourselves prevaricating, not quite sure, I don't really know if this is going to work, if I can do this, if, you know, I, I, don't, really, I don't really know if this is going to be useful, that stuck feeling is to actually, well, the very first and most important thing to do is to realize, oh yeah, this is doubt. But it's very tricky to do because it pretends that we're, it convinces us that we should be doubting here. Right? So that's why it's so tricky. But we need to then say, is this doubt? Is this wholesome doubt? Am I curious? Or is this a hindrance doubt stopping me? And once we can say, oh, this is doubt, then the idea of the Buddha teaches us is to like, how does that feel? That feeling of being stuck. Know the feeling of being stuck. The very first thing he says with all these hindrances, actually there's five ways to deal with them. And the first one is know when they're present. Not just know when they're present, know what they feel like. So you need for yourself, each of you in whatever way. And for me, it's more that feeling of movement, kind of like enthusiasm or not. When there's that, there isn't any doubt, there's a feeling of like, yeah, this is great, oh, this is so great. Or, I don't know, notice when that's present and when it's absent and what that feels like and compare them. Not just know when you feel immobilized, stuck. Good to know that, absolutely. But also to know when it's not there and be able to compare the difference. You know, one of the things we teach when we teach um, instructions to do, just be mindful, do our mindfulness practice is to, and I say this a lot, I think this is really useful, is to notice as we're sitting, doing our, training ourselves to be present, how we go off, not present, off into our planning or our thinking, and then we suddenly are here again. We didn't realize when we'd gone, we didn't mean to go off, we didn't realize how we got back either. We just find ourselves here. And when I teach, I often talk about, get really familiar with, as soon as you realize you're here, compare that with when you're not. And get familiar with the difference energetically of being really present. It's got much many more dimensions. There's sound at the same time. There's body at the same time. You know, there's a clarity. There's a there's brightness compared to our, however phantasmagorical our fantasy world was it's kind of dreamy in comparison it isn't so it often doesn't have hearing and it often doesn't have the body as well you're off in some other made up compare the two so that you get really to know when you're present when you're not when you're present when you're not and it's the same thing with these hindrances get to know when they're present and when they're not and that is not just when they're present but when they've gone, and then you see the difference in the contracted state of when you're wanting something, or you're not wanting something, or when you're resisting something, and when you're no longer resisting something, or when you're doubting, and then you realize, oh yeah, I was, that was really, that's a lot of doubt. When the doubt subsides, and often it really subsides, sometimes it completely goes poof, when you recognize it, you really feel the difference to have it and to not have it. The relief of not having a hindrance is freedom. I mean, there's, there's the jail gone for a moment. And so to recognize the difference. So that see it, feel it, sense it, get to know it, get to know when it's not there. That's the initial thing to do. And then the other thing to do with it, the Buddha's teaching us, is um, 
then because we're curious and because we're watching, we begin to see what kind of things bring up doubt and what kind of things subside doubt. And so when we begin to get a handle of what causes it and what helps get rid of it, what helps it not be fed, that will then help us not have so many doubt attacks in future. First we have to know it, know its presence and absence, then we have to know its cause really and how to then uncause it so that we in future will have less. That's the whole idea. One, there's five steps. So the cause of doubt, one of the causes of doubt, and they just slip in and convince us that they're true. They're just a thought after all, but we believe that particular thought easily when it's doubt. Easily when it's any of them actually, but certainly with doubt. Is when we aren't, this is very interesting, when we aren't really paying attention. When we're not really paying attention, we're kind of sort of paying attention. We're kind of here in a ho-hum kind of a way. But when we're not really interested and engaged, there's this like, oh, I don't really know if I want to do this, if this is going to be useful. When we're really, really present and we're really curious, doubt can't get in there. There isn't room. Doubt is when we're not actually engaged with curiosity, when we're not really doing it. It's very interesting. So the actual getting really interested, even in doubt, doesn't matter what you're interested in, what's this contraction, what's this energetic thing here, what are my thoughts like, what's going on in my body? As soon as we do that, we get interested again. And when we're interested, we go like, oh, this is fascinating. And there's no more doubt. So it's actually not practicing with curiosity that brings in doubt, that allows room for doubt. It's quite interesting to think that. And one of the antidotes, well, like the best, is to be interested. Seems so, how can I be interested in doubt? Like, that's such a weird thing to be interested in. But be interested in, for instance, your body and your, and your energy patterns and if you're holding tight or, you know, does it make you just kind of like rock back a little bit on your heels? Or how for yourself can you feel that feeling of doubt? Or is it a bunch of churning going on in the mind? Often it's a very busy proliferation of... A flavor, you might be able to feel a flavor of that. But there's another antidote which I find extremely useful. And that, when I've, rec I've had to recognize, I have to catch myself, oh right, I'm doubting this. That's what's going on. That's essential first before you can do anything about it. You have to recognize it. And that will only come when it comes and it'll only be seen when you're curious. So keep being curious. A very useful antidote is to actually go to, this is what I do, I go, what do I love about the Dharma? Why do I do this? Like, why do I keep doing it? Why, do I, why am I sitting here again? <laughs> like, what is it? What is it that I, that, that I like? And even if it's like, oh, that's right, because my blood pressure's gone down a bit. That's helpful. <laughs> or like, I remember when I speak to that particular Mrs. X and I don't get so upset with her. That's such a relief. I remember, I deliberately go into contemplation and recall for myself, what is it that gives me confidence? Confidence is the opposite of doubt. Confidence is like, yeah, that's right. Maybe it's just that simple calm of just being here in the present moment, not being busy. Oh, that's right. This is enough. Whatever it may be for yourself, I think to actually reflect on the various insights that you've had, any, you know, when you've had a kind of like, oh gosh, that's amazing kind of insight, recall them. They're useful to reflect on from time to time. You can't make yourself re-experience it exactly, but you can definitely call on the flavor of it. It's very useful. Ute Jania, this teacher I was with a couple of times recently, a Burmese man would say, he talked about this one, one evening at the Forest Refuge, and he was like, I love remembering my insights, he said. He said, I remember my insights often. He said, I don't get attached to them. Like, I'm not looking to have them again or trying to reconvince myself. But they, they serve. They're nourishing. So it's such a really skillful thing to, like, 
What is it about this that's helpful? What are some of these ways in my life that I have discovered some ease or some freedom, some, you know, understanding, some compassion? And just re-remember them, re-inhabit them a little. And then you have that confidence and then you'll be interested again. And then when you look again more closely, there's not so likely to be that. I'm not sure about this. But we don't want to not have any doubt. We want to have a certain space for curiosity. There's a teacher called Stephen Batchelor. Some of you will know of him. He's an Englishman. He's an author. He's a fascinating, brilliant, uh, brilliant mind. And he's also very English um, use of the language. So I really enjoy reading his books. Um, and he has uh, done many years practicing in Zen as well as Tibetan practice, as well as Vipassana. And, uh, and he has a phrase, deepen the perplexity. Sometimes you'll say deepen into the perplexity, meaning that wondering what's going on. So that curiosity and investigation, the kind of doubt which is spacious and not full of I know, is, is wholesome. And Utejaniya is always sort of saying, keep asking, what's going on? What's going on? What's my mind doing now? How's my attitude right now? So there's curiosity all the time, wondering, not assuming it's a certain way. It may have been a certain way, but it's going to have changed. So what, what's, it, what's happening now in my mind? What's going on? Keep inquiring, inquiring, and curious, and curious. And you'll find there is less doubt and there's more discovery. It's when we look closely that we see. We, you know, we, that's the only time we're going to have any kind of insights, any kind of understanding is going to dawn. So keep exploring. There. That's all I'm going to say. I, brought, I, I have a bunch of notes. I went upstairs to... Um, put my little thumb drive in the computer to print out my notes and it didn't read the language of it. It all came out in boxes. So if anybody who would like to talk to me about that afterwards, that would be interesting. So, so not having my notes in front of me, I've run down on doubt. But I, I would really like your questions. And it can be about this topic or whatever you'd like to ask about your practice or something. But questions are extremely valuable. And as, uh, as Maureen was saying, they may really want to hear the question in New Zealand, so go ahead and ask. Um, what do you do with doubt that comes in the form of fear? fear. Hmm. The first way as a, as a Dharma practice is to see if you can name what's going on. And sometimes we can and sometimes we're not sure. But to be able to uh, go like, uh-oh, this, I don't, this doesn't feel good at all. I'm feeling really cautious about this or anxious about this. Um, the, the very most useful way is to look and see how that feels in your body. Um, so that it's not, so that we don't get <clears throat> carried off with our mental version of what's happening, which isn't that reliable. The body is more reliable, it's more, more the truth of what is going on. Um, but when there is doubt, which is like, this doesn't feel right at all, I, I think we need to trust all that. We, we need to have all of these things. They're not like the enemy. When we say hindrances, it's not that they shouldn't be there, we're trying to not have them. Um, what they are, of course, is we've learned how to negotiate our world safely you know, and to get the things we need. And so there are things that are going to happen where we're going to go like, oh, oh I don't, this doesn't feel right at all. And we need to trust that, that we, we have to make appropriate, wise decisions. And we may not know what to do, but we may know that we don't want to take another step because this may not be okay. So that's, it's just wise to, to stop. Not that we should keep blinding along and just go, oh, it's sure going to work out fine and I'll love them anyway. And, you know, that's not, it's like, so trust yourself and uh, feel into your body you know, so that you can be as clear as you can. What actually am I feeling here? What's going on? So um, 
Yeah, it's what will happen. I mean, just thinking about imagine being in the situation you're asking um, is when there's kind of some clear, clear idea of this is fear, actually. This is what's fear. I'm fear. I'm afraid of this. Then when it's recognized, there will, it'll be more likely, I'm not saying it'll happen instantaneously, but more likely that you'll then be able to go, I'm not going to do that. You know, I'm not going to do this. This is not appropriate for me. I'm going to go somewhere else. This is not the person I'm going to discuss this with or something. Like a decision will come from the clarity to do something else. So, but sometimes it might not come that quickly. You might just have to say, I don't know what to do, but this doesn't feel right to move forward. So, so trust that. We don't always have to be going somewhere. It isn't, it's a tricky thing, but. Yes, it's just tricky to say. There are times when we need to just stop and wait. And that's fine. The hindrance that the Buddha is talking about is when we um, we can't we find over and over not just like one once in a while but we find habitually we're just kind of spinning around and not really not really engaged kind of like oh I don't really know it's more that sort of lost feel different than this this is not okay that's quite clear is that useful. Yeah. Victor. Um, I'm pretty in touch with um, other hindrances more so than doubt. Um, and so how can one um, poke doubt to wake it up so one can recognize it? Mm. I'm sure it's there. It's just like it's dormant or, I don't know, dealing with other things more than doubt. Well, one of the things to say in answer to that question is that we, quite a lot of people have a tendency to get familiar with, like we have more of them, like we have predominant personality types. And so we tend to, you know, one of them tends to manifest more than in others, for instance. You know, there are fearful types of people or there are aversive types of people. There are people always... Greed, I'm always wanting. I'm always wanting more. I want at least to be three people so I can do it, all the things I want to do, and and, uh, and so on and so forth. So that's one thing. I mean, there are going to be preponderances and tendencies. I wonder about poking it. I don't actually think that it's necessary to poke at it to make it come up. I think um, I what I really think is. The more we watch, the more we're curious, the more familiar we are with the territory of what our mind is doing. And when it's wanting something, and when it's resisting something, and when it's judging something, and when it's just bored, the more familiar we are, the more we'll see. Not to poke around to make it come up, but to just get more familiar. And then we'll see what's more subtle what we normally don't notice. It's more like, um, I think of the practice as, as looking at what's kind of vaguely there and adjusting the sight so we start to see more and more and more, rather like looking in a dark room. You know, and you open the door and it's dark and you can't see a thing. You go in this dark, you can't see anything. Well, keep looking and you'll start seeing vague shapes and eventually you'll see all kinds of detail. Because your eyes will adjust to what you're looking at and you'll see more and more. And I think our practice is like that. And if we keep doing it with curiosity, then we start seeing all kinds of junk in there, including plenty of doubt, and plenty of everything. That's there. That's the way I think of it. And it will reveal itself when it reveals itself, rather than because you want to now figure out what that is. And, you know, because it's actually up. And if it's up for you, then be curious in it. So it's more being with what is rather than controlling what you think is. That's really how practice works. Let it show up when it's ready. And for some of you, you know, there won't be as much doubt as there will be for other people. I just think, don't think doubt is talked about a lot. So I think it's a useful thing to explore, especially the two, you know, when it's going to extremes and when it's actually helpful.
that's really that's my experience the more we look the more shows up you know so just keep on being curious uh, where does uh, suspicion fit in suspicion suspicion action based on suspicion or inaction based is it also doubt or is it yes it's, i mean it is it's certainly it's doubting somebody or doubting somebody's integrity or somebody's authority and not being able to trust it's all in the same arena um i mean there are times when we need to we need to be there are times it's useful it's like anything else and times when it just like really gets in the way and we find that we're actually imposing an opinion on somebody that isn't true at all so you know we need to then find out is that true we can be biased we can be bigoted we can believe something because we've heard something that isn't so but there are times when actually we're picking up clues that are like that's just suspect you know i'm not that doesn't feel so good so it's okay to be curious and to wonder and to and not to say we shouldn't have these things this is an important thing to understand about these hindrances but um are they separating us unnecessarily are they preventing like when we're suspicious of somebody we aren't very open to that person we're already condemning them somewhat so that's not actually being really open to what may be there we may turn out that what's there is definitely not okay you know but so it's it's the answer always is keep questioning don't assume just because of so and so until you really you know till it's like obvious really clear keep you know don't don't be too hard, too quick to judge that's the thing you know we get stuck on our opinions about things or other people's opinions about somebody and uh, and it's actually not necessarily the way it is there's that little this is a great story sort of this isn't suspicion exactly but it's similar like about opinions of judging people um i don't know i never can remember who i told these various stories this is a great little story there's a man who had taken um meditation mindfulness based stress reduction course with john kabat-zinn in massachusetts this is several years ago john kabat-zinn told this story so this person was his student and was taking in the midst of this course taking several weeks of meditation training he happened to be a senior official in the uh, air force uh it was in the afternoon he was in the safeway and he was picking up a few items for supper and heading out the door and went for the lineup that had the fewest people in it and it had actually just one woman an, a middle-aged woman a little baby and like two items and he thought perfect I'll be out of there in no time. So he goes for that lineup when he gets behind this person at the checkout. She starts to engage the checkout cashier in deep conversation. And they're carrying on and on after some moments the baby's picked up and handed to the cashier. Kuchi kuchi ku with the baby and the whole, you know and he's just like women and babies on but then he remembers he's taking a meditation class and so he remembers his feet are on the ground and to breathe and to let his shoulders go down and to just be present with whatever's happening and and sooner or later they finish their conversation and the baby's handed back and the woman leaves pays her money and is out of there and instead of his much more habituated approach to like make some snarly comment he said to the cashier cute baby and she said i know she's my baby <laughs> That's my mom she said I um, I had to come back to work because my husband was killed in that air force crash last July and so I have to now work and so my mom has to take care of our baby and she brings him brings her to me two or three times a day just so that I get to see that she's okay <laughs> And of course he was a senior in the military so he knew about this whole deal and he had no space initially for her reality or their reality until he allowed himself some openness and some just came to be calm and open and was willing to engage in conversation instead of assume she was something and uh and discovered a whole reality that allowed him to relate as a human so it's like we rush to assumption but we so we need to be curious but we need to not be foolish so it's like where in all of this do you find your line when it's a hindrance it's hanging you up you're unable to make any decision to act in any, any way it's when it's a problem when it's actually a warning 
you know, fear, for instance, or suspicion, and maybe you shouldn't trust this or go into business with this person, then you need to get more information. So, useful. Many of these things are useful, and they can then become too extreme and not so useful. Yeah. Hi, my my question is about faith. Mm. In in my uh, daily practice, I frequently uh, find myself about fifteen or twenty minutes in, saying to myself, "This is nuts." I'm sitting here with my eyes shut, and I don't know what I'm doing, etc., etc., etc. And that goes on for a while. And then I then I say to myself, or it occurs to me, Heather said, and Gil said, that the Buddha said, if you just sit here for a while and keep doing this, you'll come out better in the end. <laughs> <laughs> and that's sort of faith, I guess. Is that a reasonable way to handle the doubt of uh, what in the world am I doing here? <laughs> not bad <laughs> but I would I would more I would say at the point of this is nuts before oh well Heather and Gill and the Buddha and all these books and all these authors say that it's actually a good idea that actually is not what the Buddha suggested he says don't listen to what people say just because Utejaniya says don't concretize around other people's words don't concretize their words he says coming out of their mouths and say, oh, well, they, they say this, so therefore, look for yourself. So back up to the point where it's like, this is nuts. And go like, oh, that's actually doubt. I'm thinking, I'm just kind of like, this is not really useful sitting here. Why am I feeling like this? Actually, if you were really being curious about what was going on, you wouldn't be feeling this is nuts. You'd be feeling this is interesting. So you're doing ho-hum practice and there's plenty of room for this is nuts thoughts to come in. So look at the quality of your interest. That's what I would do. Because if you're not really interested and you're just sitting there going through the motions, that's not actually going to reveal very much. It's better than not. Put your cush on the tush. Is tush on the cush. It's good. <laughs> better than not. But actually, be really... See if you can bring some curiosity about, about anything. What's, what's happening now that's interesting? Sounds, states of mind, really. Am I feeling dull? Am I tired? What's happening? How does that feel? Arjun Sabedo is like, oh, tired feels like this. So just see, scan for a mood and then go, oh, it feels like this. How do I know that? One of the things that I do to help that, sometimes, this is one of the many little tricks, is if a Martian suddenly showed up in your room, asked you what was happening, and you described it, they'd say, how do you know that? How do you know this is nuts? Like, what, what, what's that like, that feeling of this is nuts? Huh, what's it like? It's a feeling of like, is that boredom? Like, what is it? Be interested. And then suddenly you'll actually be practicing instead of sitting there. I was interested um, in that you said that confidence um, is the opposite mm -hmm. of doubt. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just wondering if you'll talk about... Uh, confidence of being maybe um, you're not as open to things if you're confident. Yes. So, um, so instead of that, maybe um, clarity versus doubt. Yes. It's all, you know, we can get all hung up in semantics. So it has to be what for you you can relate to. So, you know, if I use a word that, you know, does actually throws up questions for you. That's actually useful. Question it. Don't just assume. But f the idea for me, you know, um, what 
especially when I apply this, which is really when it's most important to my practice, the quality of my practice, that I practice, how I practice, what I'm actually doing. That's when it's, for me, the most relevant thing. You know, our actual spiritual journey here. Um, so when there is, for me, a sense of, um, as I said, kind of like, this is just, I, this is interesting because I see stuff. And when I see stuff, I'm not caught in it so that it, that confidence that it works that it frees me in times it gives me relief it's like oh i don't need to get all excited about such and such this is just another passing mood what a relief to be able to know that fantastic that confidence is the the absence of doubt doubt is like oh what the hell you know what's the point of this like it's, it doesn't have that feeling of confidence. That's what I meant by confidence. It could easily, I'd use, easily use the word clarity. Clarity is like realizing something. And when you realize something, there's that sense of like, oh, that's what's happening. That is the confidence I mean. So uh, some, any kind of an insight is like, you know, gosh, I was completely believing that whole, all that story I've just been telling myself about that person. I really believe that. And I actually don't know that's true at all. Goodness me, look at that. Unbelievable. Had I, boy, did I have an assumption about that person. So I'm realizing something. That's some clarity. That's a great word. And the feeling I get then is like, I really want to keep looking because I don't want to do this stuff that hangs me up, that gets between me and other people, that you know, separates me, that preoccupies me, that gives me anxiety. I don't need that. I want freedom from all of that. So the confidence from being able to see the tightness and the when it releases. That's, the, that's what I, the application of the word confidence. Clarity is a great word for that. Trust is another word. The refuges, why we take refuge when we do formal practice. It's like, what is it that actually I do feel works that's helpful? And how is it helpful? Why, do we, why does I feel it works? How does it work for me? That's how it works for me. That's why I keep doing it. You know, that, that kind of like, yeah, I can do that. Clarity is a great word. Mm-hmm. How um, does that differ from thinking? When, when I'm working an issue, like one you just described, am I not thinking? There's a certain amount of thinking, yes. Then there's a whole, thinking describes a whole lot of stuff that goes on. The kind of thinking which is reflective and uh, investigative and, oh, that's what's happening, is useful. But like anything else, it can get carried away. And so when there's thinking and more thinking and thinking about thinking, there's an experience and then there's all of the story hole telling, that's papuncha type thinking. That's Papancha, that's a fabulous word. I love this word, papancha. So the whole talk on papancha, we, you know, you should have regular talks on papancha. P-A-P-A-N-C-A. The C is pronounced ch. Papancha. That means um, proliferation of thought. So it's like thought trains. So a certain amount of thinking we need. It's useful. It's helpful. It's reflective. It's clarifying. It's like, oh, yes. It is mental behavior that does that. But what is not useful is endlessly thinking over, 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 over because we believe our thoughts but they just are just rolling and rolling and rolling and we're not, we're actually removed from what's happening when that happens. So a certain amount of thinking, understanding, takes mental, it takes mental stuff. Is it just seeing clearly? Is it just being interested? Or does it have Greed or hatred? Do I want something out of this? Do I not want? Do I have an agenda? Am I now going into planning? Watch the mind and if it keeps going on and on, one thing leading to the next, to the next, to the next, that gets in the way. You're not just being with what's happening. You're now having a whole agenda about what's happening. So watch the mind keeping going. But when it sees something, it does it mentally. It's like, you know, it realizes, recognizes, understands fine. So it can do its little thing and then it's over. It doesn't keep proliferating, keep rolling. So short trains of thought, useful. Endless ones, waste of time. 
And then when you're really, really very present and the mind is very clear and perceptive, which happens sometimes, then you can have a, a, a thought really quickly and then it just ends. And you can just see it just end, end. It starts to get more, actually gets more interesting. Rather like we're saying to Victor, it's like, the more we do it, the more it's like going into this darkened room and your eyes adjusting, the more is seen, the more interesting it gets. So the less doubt there is, the less of the various hindrances there are. They're seen so much more quickly and then they don't drag us along like that bull with the ring in its nose. I don't know if you were here when I was talking about that bull. They don't pull us around the same way. We see them much more quickly. But it's the mind that sees them, so it is thinking. Thinking's not the enemy. Papancha is. Okay. Time's going by. I don't know what you usually do at the end of your sitting periods, and I haven't been doing this here. Partly, I don't know why. Partly I've been sick, and partly I just don't know what everyone's format is. But what I like to do at the end of a period of practice and inquiry like this together is to just for a moment reflect that any understanding that we get from doing this, any little increased skill in being more present, in being more honest, in being more kind, in being more curious, benefits us, but we're not isolated. And if there's some benefit to myself, there's going to be benefit to the next person I speak to and to the people I associate with in their cars, driving down the same road, or whatever. And so we don't do this for ourselves. It's not possible. We do this for the world. And so any benefit that comes from practicing together, we, uh, we're doing for just to, to bring more kindness into the world, which has not enough. It can never have enough. And so um, just reflecting that that's going to happen anyway is one thing. And then another step is to say, I do this for the world, actually. I do this not for me. I do this so that there is, it's just bigger than me. My practice isn't about me. It begins to be me. When I first practice, I want to be happier and I want to be less stressed and I want to be, you know, more at ease and more loving and so on. But we pretty well discover that we aren't one thread. As soon as we pick up one thread, we discover it's all woven up with everything else. So we dedicate our practice for everybody's well-being, creatures, beings, the whole world. It's just nice to reflect like that at the end of a period. May all beings be free of doubt. May all beings be confident and clear. May all beings be free of all kinds of suffering. Thank you.